Uh, good morning. Lovely to be with you, and um, I trust the Lord will bless us as we spend this time together around his word. Um, Stevie was asking how excited you're feeling about Christmas very quickly on its way, and I can tell by the excited look on your faces that you just can't wait. <laughs> I don't wonder if uh, you are particularly involved in doing the Christmas shopping in your, your home. Um, I share that experience with my wife, although I, I don't let us see what I'm going to buy her for Christmas. And uh, I each year try to find her something a little bit different, something unique. Well, I think I've nailed it this year. And uh, as you're here, just to give you some ideas, uh, I hate your spoiler, but I, I've got to share it with you that um, this year for Pauline, I have, I've bought her a false leg. Um, I know you're looking quite worried, but it, it's all right. It's, uh, it's just a shocking filler. You will not find that in a Christmas cracker, I promise you. I rather like it. I don't know about you, but um, if you have a Bible with you, if you were to open it to between the Old Testament and the New Testament, I wonder if your Bible is like mine, where separating two, there is an empty page, pretty much. That's mine. Not all Bibles will have this, but mine does. What I find really interesting is that that one page represents a span of 400 years. Malachi, the last book, prophetic book in the Old Testament, he shared some tremendous words of prophecy, and they were the final words of God. And they include this verse, which I want to share with you briefly this morning. Right at the end of the Old Testament, Malachi the prophet wrote, But for you who revere or worship or bless my holy name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Christ is described as the rising sun, and he comes with healing in his wings. I don't know about you, but if your life has been a little bit like mine this year, we need healing. We have been damaged. We have been hurt. I'm going to mention something about that a little bit later on. But what I take from this lovely word of prophecy is that Christ comes with healing in his wings. Will you claim that promise this morning? Because if you're like me, you need it. And you really need to hear that word this morning. And I, I am really challenged to share that at this stage before we look at our subject, which is God's message um, to Joseph. But before we come on to that, can I just go back to these 400 years that separate the Old Testament from the New Testament? In that time, God, after the prophetic words of Malachi, said absolutely nothing. There was this heavenly silence. There were no words of prophetic utterances from God. There were no warnings. There were no judgments. And yet, behind the scenes, God was always there. 
And God was completely active all through those 400 years. Well, he always is. When God is quiet and we don't hear his voice, never make the mistake of thinking he's not there. He is always there. And even in those silent moments, it's, it's our faith in him that makes us believe that God is there and he's there for us. That's a great thought. That's a great promise. But at this time, God was always there. And yet, although silent, he was behind the affairs of men. He was orchestrating all that was going on during those 400 years on this earth. Because following the years of captivity in Babylon, and then the Israelites going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and rebuild the temple walls, which come right at the end, pretty much, of the Old Testament, we find that during these years, things were also happening in our world around us. The Greek Empire rose to power. And if there's one thing we know about the Greek Empire, it's this. They were famous for introducing a language Greek, which would be the main language spoken of during these years and into the years of the New Testament. Our New Testament came to us through translators translating Greek into English, and now we have the New Testament in our language. The Greeks were renowned for this language, and how amazing that Greek was the main language that God would use to share his wonderful news, his good news of his salvation. Wonderful. God was there. God was at work. Following the Greek Empire came the Roman Empire. What were they famous for? So many things. But one in particular was for their road systems that they built right across Europe, even into our country. Those road systems God would use to convey the wonderful message and use of his salvation. His people, his disciples, his followers would use those main road systems to reach out with God's word. God was there, always there, always at work, always in the affairs of men. Where were the Jewish people during this time? The nation of Israel, having come out of the captivity of Babylon, they survived the empires of the Greeks and the Romans, and they all the time didn't hear the voice of God, but they held on to a promise. And the promise was that God was going to send a Messiah. God was going to send his deliverer, a saviour. He was going to send a redeemer. They held on to that promise all through those years and going into the years of the New Testament. Now, here's the point. That was a history lesson for you. But we're not just here for history. This is the point. The next time that God would speak after those 400 years, after that empty blank page, after that heaven silence, was in the New Testament. And it wasn't going to be through the voice of a prophet like Malachi. It was going to be a message announced by angels. It wasn't going to be a word of warning. It wasn't going to be a word of judgment. It was going to be a message of hope, a message of salvation, a message of redemption, linking to this promise that the children of Israel, the Israelites, the Jewish people held onto. This was going to be the message, and the message was about a gift. And the gift was God's son, the greatest gift. 
this most perfect and powerful demonstration of God's love and message of hope to mankind was through a gift, the greatest gift which we have been thinking about this morning. And this message wasn't announced to the masses. So we're taking you back to the story of the nativity and all that led up to it. It wasn't announced to the masses. It was announced to individuals. The message was announced to Zechariah in the temple. It was announced to Mary in her hometown. It was announced to, of all the people most unsuspecting, a man called Joseph. And he's the man we're thinking about this morning. At the moment, leading up to Christmas, I'm reading a devotional um, all about Christmas, the Christmas story, written by David Coffey. It's great reading. And uh, he shares in his book this, this rather humorous story about Joseph, so please forgive me. And of course, it's in, le- in relation to the classic school nativity, when Joseph appealed enthusiastically for a room in the inn, the innkeeper, to have some pity on Mary's condition. The innkeeper responded hard-heartedly by saying, I'm sorry, and her condition is nothing to do with me. To which Joseph replied, hey, it's nothing to do with me either. But here we are. Great story, David Coffey, great author, great Bible teacher, but great sense of humour as well. In truth, Joseph, he didn't say anything. When you look at the story and his part of it, he is the silent member of the cast. He is often forgotten, put into the shadows, left in the background. And if you have a nativity scene at home, Joseph has always stood behind Mary in the mix of all the other visitors to that wonderful scene. And where the angels would bring this heavenly message, and where Mary would bring her worship to God out of the joy in her heart because of what God was going to use her to perform. And when the wise men would speak their words to Herod in their search for the newborn king, and even the shepherds would leave that scene and go back and proclaim the wonderful news of God's salvation that they had witnessed, Joseph remains silent. He doesn't say a word. Look at the, the story for yourself in, in Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel. Look at it for yourself and you will see he says nothing. And so I'm going to read to you the verses in Matthew where we find Joseph and the part that he plays in this tremendous story. Matthew chapter 1 and just a few verses from verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with the child through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. 
Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now listen, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And so the question is, in these verses, what did Joseph say in response? Absolutely nothing. He is a man of action, isn't he? And it is astounding that nowhere, even throughout the whole of the gospel account, not one single word is uttered from the mouth of Jesus, earthly father. But you know the expression, don't you? We've all heard it. Actions speak louder than words. And what I love about Joseph and his part in all of this is that Joseph is a man of action. He does something, and we're going to see just what he does. He's a man of action. He's also a man of righteousness. And we will find out that he is a man of obedience to God. And because of this lovely characteristic, we find that God involves him in this wonderful, redemptive plan, bringing about our salvation. If you took notice of the story that we have read together, it's familiar, isn't it? It comes about this time of year, and sadly, it's then put back in the box until next Christmas. That's a little bit sad. However, today, it's part of this wonderful Christmas story. And when we come to see Joseph in these verses, we are introduced to him when actually what is going on is a moment of absolute personal crisis. Mary has conveyed the news to him and disclosed that she is pregnant. And she brings with that this story that the conception is not through some earthly father. It is through the spirit sent by God to bring about this miracle. Joseph, he was a righteous man. And out of his righteousness, he could, under Jewish law, have demanded that she would be stoned. Now that's severe. But this is Jewish law we're talking about back in the day. He could have demanded that. Joseph's righteousness came not just because of the adultery, but also blasphemy. Mary has said that this baby is from God. And in Jewish law, this would have been considered blasphemy. Two counts upon which severe judgment could be based. But what I love about Joseph is this. He is a man of righteousness, but we see in these verses that he is a man of grace. This is before God has spoken to him. And out of his grace, he is resolved in his heart that he would quietly divorce Mary. He didn't want her to be put to public shame. I think that shows something of his love for her. It shows something of his devotion for her. It shows something of the grace of God in his life. 
but he would have been totally justified to go down the roots of Jewish law. He could have demanded that bitter sentence, but he chose not to, even though he felt wronged, he felt betrayed. He instead chose righteous mercy. If I can just give you a little teaching point here, it's this, linking back to what I said about God coming as that rising sun with healing on his wings. I think amongst us today, all of us at some stage or another have been hurt. We have been wronged by another person. And we know how, how bad it is to be offended. We know how we felt. I don't know how you dealt with that. I don't know you wouldn't know how I would deal with that. However, how do we react as Christians, followers of Christ, in a situation like this? Thinking about Joseph. There's a little story for you. Two friends were walking through the desert, and they got into an argument. One friend slapped the other on the face. The one who got slapped was hurt. But without saying anything, he wrote in the sand, today my best friend slapped me in the face. They kept walking until they came across an oasis. Being thirsty, they stopped for water. The one who was slapped got stuck in soft sand and started to sink. And his friends, the one who had slapped him, rescued him from that sinking sand. That night, the one who had been slapped and rescued wrote on stone, Today, my best friend saved my life. The friend who slapped and then saved the other asked him, After I hurt you, you wrote in the sand, and now you wrote on a stone. Why? He replied, this is the point, when someone hurts us, we should write in the sand where the winds of forgiveness can blow it and erase it away. But when someone does something good for us, we must engrave it on stone so that it will be long remembered. That's turning something very natural to us on its head. We tend to remember the hurt. We tend not to remember the good. When it comes to being under Christ and his rule and being obedient and faithful to him, he longs to see the opposite. That there is forgiveness for the wrong and we remember the good. And this is where Joseph comes in because righteousness will always make the right decision, even when we have felt wronged. Joseph's actions were justified, they were righteous, and they would become instilled into one of his other sons who would be born after raising Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus' half-brother, James, who came to believe in Jesus as the Messiah himself. He wrote this, this letter in the New Testament, James chapter 3. Now listen to this. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits. Isn't that lovely? To see these wonderful characteristics in the life of Joseph, forgiveness, 
the way of righteousness, the way of grace instilled in James, his son. And he writes about that. It's written down so that we might remember. Now, that's Joseph's righteousness. But something happened. Something changed. Something altered his thinking regarding Mary, who he was engaged to, but under Jewish engagement, it was considered as they were, they were married. The engagement was for so long. Something changed his mind. It was a dream. There was in that dream a visitation. There was an angel, Matthew tells us. And from that angel, there was a message from God. Everything would be changed from now on. But isn't that just the way? When we hear from God, whether it's through somebody else or through our church experience, or when we read God's word, when we hear his voice, things change. Lives change. And if you've come here this morning and you have not got a faith in Jesus Christ, if today you hear his voice, your life will be, can be, wonderfully, miraculously changed by God. You will become saved. It always happens. It never fails. This righteous carpenter, after hearing the message from God, after taking that on board, he would raise God's son to be a merciful Savior. You see something more of Joseph there. He would make that decision. Not only was Joseph's life characterized by righteousness, but secondly, it was characterized by redemption. You see, in Joseph's dream, in that visitation, God gave him a glimpse of this wonderful divine plan of redemption. Joseph told in the Bible was a descendant of David. He was part of this ancestral line that would lead to the birth of Jesus Christ. He was the right person in the right family. But how wonderful that God gave him at this time, the right time, the unique job, the role of raising the Messiah. God told Joseph that Mary's son would save his people from their sins. In fact, that name Jesus is so, so wonderful. It's not just any name. It's just not a, a name chosen. It wasn't even a family name given. It was a name given by God. And that name Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means the Lord is salvation. How wonderful. And Joseph is there. And he was told who that baby was. And he was told what that baby had come to do, this gift from God. I know Stevie mentioned in our introductions about watching uh, Christmas television. Uh, I particularly don't watch that much of the, on the television, but, but I do take notice of Christmas adverts. I find them fascinating. And I have to say that John Lewis, historically, has always brought the best Christmas advert year upon year. This year was a bit weird. Didn't like it too much, actually. But anyway, if you can remember a few years ago, they introduced this advert to, to promote their message. And it was of this little girl looking through a telescope up to the moon. I wonder if you remember that one. And on the moon, there was this old man outside his shack, 
So come on, use your imaginations. This is the moon we're talking about. And he was there sat on a deck chair. Okay, that was the advert. Long story cut short. There was a remake of that advert from a Christian perspective, trying to bring about the truth of what Christmas is all about. And on this one, it showed another little girl. And she was looking up into the sky toward heaven. And she was shouting, God, are you really there? Do you really love me? Do you really care? And she fired an arrow into the sky with this, mess, with this question. And it failed. It came back down to earth. It didn't get the distance. It didn't get to God's. So she tried again and took a piece of paper and folded it into an airplane it up into the sky but no it failed back down to the ground with a crash and then it was silent on christmas day in this remake she looked up and out of the sky floated down a crib a cradle suspended from balloons i hope you're still with me with your imagination here and that crib landed at the base of her christmas tree and as she looked at it, there was a little message. The message was in the shape of a cross, just a piece of paper. And it was a message from God. And it simply said, the best gift I could give, because I love you. How wonderful. Joseph was going to be part of this redemptive story. God's divine plan of redemption. He was ready. He was going to be a part of this. He would take Mary as his wife. He would protect her during the pregnancy. He would be there for the birth of this very special baby, because not only was he a righteous man, and not only was he involved in God's plan of redemption, and we see redemption in his life, but we see something else. We see ready, willing obedience. And that's it with Joseph, the silent member of the cast. What can I see in his life? Wonderful things. But above everything else, I see this willing obedience to do what God has asked him to do, to go where God has asked him to go, and to be a part of this wonderful plan. And there was no hesitation. He knew what it would mean. He knew that in that small hometown of Nazareth, he would, along with Mary, be faced with ridicule and scorn. They would have to, because it could not be hidden, they would have to go through the fact that there was a pregnancy that was conceived outside of marriage. He would have to face people who would look at them under the cloud of adultery. But he was prepared to do that because his adopted son was the son of God. That's the part that Joseph played in this wonderful story. Because Joseph believed and he obeyed God. And the wonderful thing about Joseph, he wasn't a one-hit wonder. This wasn't the only time we see obedience in his life. You see, earlier I said to you about the individuals, how they received a message from God. Mary received one message. The shepherds received one message. Zechariah received one message. But here's the truth. When you look at the whole account, Joseph was spoken to by God four 
times. Isn't that amazing? We tend not to think about that. And so his, his obedience was continuous. And he would obey God again because after the birth, when they had to flee for their lives for that child's safety, he heard the voice of God and so took his family down into Egypt. And when all things were safe to return, he heard the voice of God again and obeyed and brought them back to Nazareth, where that young child would grow up, be brought up in the safety of that family. Joseph is commended as a man of righteousness, a man part of God's redemptive plan, as, as a man who was, was characterized by this willing obedience. Now, that's important. The Bible defines faith and obedience. It defines obedience and faith. They go hand in hand. They walk the path together. They are two sides of the same coin. Obedience is doing what God has said. It is important to believe in God. And Stevie will know, and others will know, that when you talk to people on the streets, there are so many who will say, I believe in God. There's got to be a God. Very few will believe in Jesus. But they'll believe in God, but is that enough? No. Belief has to lead to obedience. Listen to this. D.L. Moody was a man years before all of us. Great Bible teacher, great author. And he was conducting a series of meetings in Massachusetts. Leading the singing at each of these meetings was a man called Daniel Towner. One night... A man responded to the message. He responded to the invitation to come forward and receive Christ. And he said this, I'm not quite sure. I don't know everything. I'm not there 100%, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey. Daniel Towner was struck by that sentence. And he wrote it down. And he sent it to a pastor of a Presbyterian church, a good friend of his. And together, they gave birth to a hymn that we rarely sing these days. It's a traditional hymn. You'll know the words, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. From a man who was all set to quietly divorce Mary and put her away quietly because of the public scandal, who received this wonderful visit from God, the message of God, to not be afraid, to take Mary as his wife, and to be part of God's divine redemptive plan, and to raise God's son as his own. This man from his righteousness became a man of obedience, characterised by obedience in his life. Now I said that Joseph, he does fall into the shadows a little bit in the nativity story. And yet he joins an elite group in the Bible of people who heard the voice of God directly speaking to them. People like Noah, people like Abraham, people like Moses, people like Mary, and here is Joseph attached to them all who heard the voice of God. And I'll finish with the words of a psalm. The psalmist wrote this, today, if you hear his voice, 
do not harden your hearts. For the glory of God, for you having a wonderful Christmas with new meaning, for a wonderful change of life that you can experience this morning, listen, listen to that voice of God as he tells you that the son he sent to be the saviour of the world can be your saviour. Believe it, and then obey him and live a life trusting Christ. May God bless you. I've taken two minutes over. I'm so sorry.